Hello, and welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm your host, Frank, along here with Byron. Uh, welcome back to the show again. If it's your first time, we welcome you uh, listening in. Byron, go ahead and let the listeners know what we're all about and get anything off your chest you need to. We've got a great show for you today. We break down news and politics. In addition to that, uh, we just talk about things that are important for the listeners that isn't, isn't covered as much in the mainstream media. We'll be talking uh, finances and economics and savings and credit reports later on in the show. What I wanted to start off with you on, Frank, though, is uh, <laughs> you pretty much know what breaking breaking the bro code is, man code or what have you. You got the rookie for the Los Angeles Lakers. He apparently recorded uh, Swaggy P, they call him, Nick Young, and he's talking about cheating on his girlfriend, Iggy Azalea and stuff. And for whatever reason, he recorded it. He says he didn't mean for it to get out. It was supposed to be a joke. I don't know how that could be a joke, but it wound up getting out, and, uh, you know, Iggy's not too happy with it, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. What is it about that team, too? Like, the Lakers, you know, Kobe snitched on Shaq many years ago, and <laughs> Derek Fisher used to play for those guys, and he's out there dirty macking, like, hollering at people, mm. uh, ex-wives, I guess, and mm. it's, it's just crazy with that team. <laughs> well, I mean, and then you go back to the original sin, which is Maddox Johnson, uh, I'm done, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy. I mean, so going back to what you said is interesting. It's not just uh, Nick Young's girlfriend. It's actually their their engaged fiance. So it's even a step up. It's not just um, right. so they're you know they're going to be married, which is obviously as we're both married, that's quite a big deal, um, and, and that's certainly the kind of thing you don't want to happen uh, when you're getting ready to plan a wedding with with your with your you know soon to be wife is for your infidelity to come out. It's certainly not. Um, on the internet for everybody else. If, if you do make a mistake, you certainly like to be able to tell her yourself. Which obviously, he, you know, she found out this way. Uh, you know, as far as Angelo Russell, I think it shows his immaturity. Uh, you know, he's, I think he's what 20 years old, and that's something that you know, just you know, you don't even videotape that. It's like if your friend is confiding in you. Uh, not saying that Nick, what Nick Young did was right. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just right. saying that if, as a friend, you don't even want to videotape. If, I, if, I, if, I, if we're boys, and I'm telling you, man, you know something went down and, and, and I made a mistake, You don't, I don't want you to video, you know, record, or, you know, certainly not audio tape, videotape, or anything like that. So it's just unfortunate that that happened, but, you know, hopefully uh, Nick Young will be able to, you know, make things right if he can, and hopefully D'Angelo Russell will learn a, a lesson that, uh, you know, if, if people are saying things that are personal around you, you shouldn't be videotaping and certainly shouldn't be repeating it to the public. Millennials, he, he is young. I think he may even be 19. And, and ladies, we're not condoning cheating, but I, I just want to tell you, you know, for for a guy to break the so-called man code, that's not the type of guy you probably would even want. Like, those are usually the type of guys that if you try to leave them, they they those if you if if I can't have you, type can type dude. So we're not condoning cheating. That's just not a good thing to do. It's, it's kind of foul, and at the risk of the show turning into TMZ, Frank, I guess we better. Get into some politics, man. You are 
listening to Politically Entertaining, your clips notes to American politics. And now your host, Frank and Byron. Uh, with my man Frank, this is what, our eighth episode now, Frank? Yes, it is. Episode and number we've, eight. Uh, we've uh, tried to do our best with bringing you, you know, everything from news and politics. And I wanted to start off this week, Frank, with the remaining GOP candidates, you got John Kasich, Ted Cruz, and Donald Trump, of course. And, you know, in the beginning, they all had to take that pledge of whoever wins the nomination will support that person. Well, it seems like all three at the same time have kind of backed away from it, and there's no more pledge anymore. <laughs> uh, so they're not guaranteeing that if Trump wins, they'll support him or Cruz or Kasich. So just wanted to get your thoughts on how did they get to this point? Well, there's an old, there's an old saying, I'm not sure who says it, but there is, it says there's no honor among thieves. And, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding, you know, another cliche statement, it just looks like the house of uh, cards is, is falling down for the GOP. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, they came into the, to the game kind of assuming that Trump, and you said this in a previous podcast and, you can listen to this podcast or any other podcast on iTunes. Just go there and type in politically entertaining. You you mentioned this before, as I was saying, where people just kind of thought Trump was going to fizzle out. They were like, eh, you know, he's a phenomenon, but, you know, eventually he'll not, you know, but he's still leading in delegates. He's still on track to have the most delegates. And so I think that when they made the loyalty pledge, it was more for Trump because they were like, well, if you fit flame out on Super Tuesday, you got to promise not to run. That was kind of what it was, because all the other candidates would they, they would more like more than likely just you know you know suspend their campaigns. We as we often hear the term, you know, Marco Rubio is not going to get back in the race as an independent. I don't think that was a thing. I think this loyalty pledge is all about Trump. If he, you know, basically when he flamed out, which everybody assumed he would, that. It would be like, okay, well, just make sure you don't come back in as, as an independent. And and so that was it. And now it's kind of crazy because he's like, well, I'm the leader, so why, why would I take a loyalty pledge? He's like, I've gotten the most delicate, so I can do what I want to do. So in his mind, he would be justified to come back in and run as an independent candidate. And, and obviously the GOP, if somehow he does get to 1237 or he at the brokering convention is able to secure the nomination, they still may want to run another candidate out there because they don't want Trump to represent them. So it's an amazing thing, and it's going to be amazing to unfold. I know that it's it's something I don't remember ever seeing in my life. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but I, I certainly haven't seen this kind of disorganized chaos uh, happening happening around a presidential election. We are, we are recording this on a Monday night, so by the time you folks hear this podcast, a major primary would have taken place, Wisconsin, and, and Frank Trump has pretty much guaranteed that he's going to win that primary, despite the fact that in some polls he's down by double digits to Ted Cruz. And the on the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders' campaign has put a lot into this uh, primary as well. They're hoping for a, a victory that can catapult them to the New York primary that's later on this month, which if I know for the longest we've been saying that Bernie may be done, and we'll actually talk to Razio later about that. <laughs> but um, if, if if Hillary loses New York, I mean, it's a whole new ball game. but that's a big if. But, again, um, you know, even though the, the, by the time you hear this podcast, the primary will have taken place, you can always go to our Facebook page. We give you plenty of updates 
on Politically Entertaining on Facebook.com. Uh, Frank, there is like a huge, it's not getting that much attention, but there's like a huge conservative movement going on. States like Indiana, uh, Tennessee, Minnesota, and uh, the, the state that's gotten the most attention lately is North Carolina. They passed this, what they're calling uh, the anti-LGBT law. Well, they're not called the lawmakers aren't calling that, but, you know, opponents are calling it. And pretty much it's saying transgenders can't use a particular restroom. So if you are, I guess, if you are a man that identifies as a woman, normally you would use a female restroom in a public arena or what have you. This law is saying that you can't, and they passed a lot of other strict laws, like they've made it illegal for any county or town to, like, go against this law, and transgenders can't sue. So it's it's very, very far right. And I was very interested to discuss this because I feel like when it comes to me and you, I, I think it's safe to say that you are more, I want to say more religious than I am, but you definitely know more about it in the discussions we've had. And But I also know that you care about people and you care about fairness. So I was very interested to get your take on laws like this and a far-right abortion law in Indiana and just, just see what you had to say on this. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's, you make a great point. And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, people and I, and I in, in a position where I feel like religiously I am somewhat conservative, but certainly when you mention caring about people, I think I tend to be, a little bit more liberal in that regard. So it is an interesting conundrum that these laws present. Certainly with the transgender uh, going to the bathroom thing, I mean, what are they really going to do? They're going to check and start checking pants and skirts. I mean, people generally walk in the bathroom and things happen. I mean, we've all been to different places. I've been to theme parks, nightclubs, where sometimes the man's restroom uh, has women going in it because they're just there because the line is too long. Yeah. So I don't yeah. even think I don't even see that really being an issue unless I mean to me there unless somebody one person's being singled out unless it's like a regular at a at say a diner or something and they know he's transitioning or she's transitioning or whatever the term might be and they see them go to the restroom and they'll say oh you can't you know eat here you can't use the bathroom here just just to target random people going to the bathroom that's I, I don't see how that's going to be enforced or policed uh, by any means uh, just not on, on, a, on a random basis. Uh, certainly, one of the things that I don't, I'm not 100% familiar with the law, and I do apologize to the listeners for not being up on it, but one thing I do agree with about the law is I don't feel like a, a church or any religious organization should should have to perform, say, a, um, a same-sex ceremony or a transgender ceremony if they do not feel like they want to, not on their premises. I'm not saying that they don't have a right to be to be married, but there's other places where they can get married. They don't have to get married in that particular location. So it shouldn't be a thing of where... The LGBT is, is bombarding establishments that are traditionally, you know, maybe looked at as doing things a certain way. That doesn't mean they still can't operate, just not in that particular place. Now, some people would say, well, how does that translate? What about, you know, wedding cakes and what about other things like that? I, well, for, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing because I don't think they're the same thing. I feel like, you know, uh, and some people think they're the same thing. They think, well, if you, if you can't do it in one place, you can do it in another place. But I, I don't feel the same. I don't feel that the same way. Because I know there's, you know, when you have a certain feeling of marriage, I know if you are conservative religiously, you feel marriage is between man and woman. And so a church often is where that would take place. And so if people feel like that's violating that, I don't think that's a, a bad law. Now, to say they can't get married, it's already been passed in the Supreme Court. There are places where people can perform those ceremonies or churches that may allow it as well. But church, 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 churches shouldn't be forced to do that. 
I, I just think that overall, you know, it, it's a common, I mean, I don't know how to say it, but it's kind of like a common sense law. I think there is certain people on the LGBT side that will go and challenge just to do it, and I think that's not the right way necessarily. Like if you know there's a certain place, oh, I want to get married in this particular very conservative church, I don't think that's the right way to push it. Or I want to go and, you know, do certain things. And at the same time, I don't think that when a, when a cake maker is making a cake, they should ask, like, oh, is there a bride and a, and a groom's And They should just make the wedding cake and make it and, and leave it at that. So I think there's – a common sense that should be used on both sides. I know that won't be exercise. I know that it has to be one way or another, but I just feel like there's a way to look at it where everybody can basically get what they want. I mean, it's it's kind of already happening anyway. I think these laws are just people trying to ram something down people's throat one way or another, either either through the right or the left. And that's why I really hate uh, these political stances because it ends up being unfair to both parties uh, in certain cases, and, and I think that there's cases you can make for both sides, and I know that's not a great answer, but that's just that's why politics is so complicated because I don't believe it's just one thing that you can just put a blanket on uh, with these type of things. I think it has to be looked at and evaluated on a period over a period of time, and, it, and people need to be treated fairly. Whether you agree or disagree with this law in North Carolina, you have to disagree with how they did it. Like so. When, when when the Democrats passed Obamacare, a lot of people, you know, criticized how they did it. You know, uh, just they they did what they call reconciliation, and they really kind of, in so many words, rammed it down the American people's throat. Well, with this law, North Carolina, they called a special session. They only had literally they, they literally only had five minutes to read the language in the law, and it was only it was only made public to uh to citizens like 30 minutes before the law was passed that's like almost unheard of so you really didn't get a chance to get any type of opposition to the law because the governor really wanted it and i believe both houses in uh north carolina are controlled by republicans and they they passed it you know without any type of opposition now is the that, nba is that constitutional i don't mean to cut you off but is that even constitutional i wasn't aware of how they had passed the bill with such kind of uh, you know, almost a secrecy. Is that even constitutional, passing a bill like that? Well, you know, it's, it's a state law, so it's not, you know, it's not anything that would affect our, uh, I guess, our official constitution. Right, okay. But um, it, I think it's something that definitely could be challenged. And they're, they're probably going to miss out on some money, too, because the NBA has said, you know, the All-Star game is supposed to be in Charlotte next year. And they're pretty much saying that we're going to take that game away from you guys if, if this bill isn't changed. And similarly, in Georgia, they, they've been thinking about passing a similar bill. And the NFL, who they, they stand by their word, you know, when Arizona didn't pass the Martin Luther King holiday, they didn't give them any Super Bowls. Uh, so they said, you know, no Super Bowls for you, Atlanta, if you guys pass this bill. And the owner of the Falcons is building, like, this brand-new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. So he definitely won some Super Bowls there. And I believe Marvel was supposed to film some movies there. They've threatened to pull out. So it can definitely be costly on the economic side and, and, and mess up some companies. So you're going to see a lot of blowback going forward as other states try to try to pull this off. Um, 
want to remind the listeners, as Frank said earlier, you can subscribe to Politically Entertaining iTunes podcast. If you don't have an Apple device, you can download the Stitcher app or the Podbean app. Put in Politically Entertaining to search, and that way each episode we come out with, it automatically comes to your phone. Uh, so we appreciate the subscribers that we do have so far. We have an interview with Arazio Macarella coming up soon. We're going to discuss, as I said, you know, how to maintain good credit, avoid getting bad credit, managing finances. It'll be probably one of the most important, I would say, interviews that we've had on the show. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to go over something that I've never seen in my short amount of time of covering politics, Frank. The elites in the Republican Party have pretty much said that they are willing to back Cruz over uh, Donald Trump. Now, that's not, that's not what makes news. To me, what makes news in this is they are conceding that they think Cruz will lose to Hillary in the general election. They are fine with that. They even acknowledge that Trump probably has a better chance of beating Hillary. But they feel like he, Donald Trump, would harm the party more long-term than Cruz would, and he would also risk them losing a lot of Senate and House seats. And I've just never seen a political party admit that, hey, you know what, if we have to lose this presidential election, so be it. We need to do what we can to keep the Senate and the House, and we'll just retool up in 2020. I don't know how long you've been following politics, but I think the first presidential election I voted in was Bush Gore in 2000. And I don't even think you can consider that following politics. But let's just say you do. That's only 16 years. Have you ever heard of anything like this before? I mean, I can't. I mean, I've never. I mean, the only thing I can equate it to is an analogy. Uh, if you follow the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers have been abominable. They they continue <laughs> to trade. They continue to trade uh, draft picks and players and and they keep saying well, we're building for the future and and it kind of feel like it kind of feels like the republican party is like ooh well, we made some bad draft picks uh <laughs> we got we got some bad you know contracts we're going to trade them we're going to just let you know let things play let things play out how they play out we're going to amnesty amnesty a couple people and in 2020 our salary cap's going to be good we're going to have a high draft pick we're going to rebuild i think they are looking at it like they're loading up Kind of what it kind of did this a little bit with, if, if you notice, with with uh, President Obama, where they kind of knew that after Bush eight years, that it was like the you know the S and P and the, the stock market was completely dead, and they were like, ooh, the war is unpopular, people were mad, and they right. threw McCain out there, knowing that you know a guy in his seventies didn't really have a chance against you know. Uh, Barack Obama, he was he was just a, he was a phenomenon in his own way at the time in 2008, and he you know won pretty handily. And they spent all four years saying, mm, "Let's make we're going to make you know Barack Obama one-term president." And of course that didn't happen. They sent out Mitt Romney, and, and that was their guy. They thought they they could get it done, and they didn't. And they and now they're kind of in the same position where they're like, "Well, Hillary is going to be tough to beat, regardless of what people say about her." and She's she's gonna get she's gonna draw a number of people out, and they're like you know what we're gonna play we're gonna try to make her a one term president but I think that's a mistake I, again I think that's a huge mistake I think that while they're trying to play for the long game they're still not setting themselves up positive in a positive fashion because if people see 
they're going to get backlash regardless. If if Trump ends up with the most delegates, which he will, and they end up basically squeezing him out of the party, the Republican Party is going to lose a lot of people that say, well, we don't have faith in our democratic process because we voted for this guy, crazy as he might be, and you decided that you didn't want him because it would harm your brand, you know, like you're selling sneakers or something, you know, you're, you know. People are fed up, and so I think that either way, they have a huge, huge problem. And and to answer your question, I've never heard or seen it, but that's why this is just a fascinating time in politics to be paying attention to it. So, I mean, let's see how it plays out. I know you mentioned broker convention on a previous episode. I think that is going to be what the summer is going to be um, an amazing. That's going to be an amazing show, as you said, amazing bleep show. We don't curse on this, but amazing bleep show coming soon. Exactly. Uh, they 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 fear that a lot of Republicans will just stay home if Trump is on the ticket, and that'll cause them to lose uh, Senate seats. I, I just think it's, it's it's just funny to have a party uh, reportedly admit that. Um, so we will stay tuned on that and uh, see how that plays out. Uh, we got a Rosio coming up. I really want folks to tune in to this interview. Of all the interviews we've had. This this discussion that we have with him it affects your day to day lives. You know, every day you you manage money on some type of level. So just listen listen up, see what you can get from it. I, if I were you, I would probably get a a pen and pad. You may want to do that. Uh, this guy is very knowledgeable, and we just want you to listen up and see what you think. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Today's guest has spent 15 years in banking, 18 years in the military serving in our armed forces. He's had two deployments, one in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. He also has an MBA. And he once scored a 30, I believe it was, on the ACT after spending all night with us at Midnight Madness at the fair, one of my best friends, Orazio Macarella. What's going on, brother? <laughs> What's up, man? <laughs> oh, man, you brought us a 30. <laughs> well, did I get it right? It was a 30, right? <laughs> it, it, it was, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, what I had to do, man, I had to use the fair to just kind of clear my head. <laughs> okay. That's what's up, man. The, the, the good old ACT and SAT days, man. Um, we wanted to have you on, man, because you're, you're, you're a smart brother. You know a lot about, uh, you know, banking and, and politics. We'll get to that as well. But we wanted to try to give our listeners some uh, some pointers on managing money and, and, and trying to get good credit. And uh, before I get the questions started, I um, wanted to let Frank say what's up real quick. I know you guys haven't spoken in a while. Hey, man, how's it going? Frank, what's up, man? How you been? Good man, you know it's been it's been too long. Definitely, thanks for uh, joining us, and uh, look forward to seeing your take on a few things. I I, I have some uh, interesting uh, questions for you down down the road. Yeah, we, uh, Byron told me it was coming, so like, we'll yeah, see. We, we're, we're expecting you guys to disagree. We may have our first uh, disagreement <laughs> on political entertainment. But what I wanted to start it off start off with you, Rosie. Uh, you know, income tax season has pretty much came and went. For for the most part, people have gotten their checks and. And spent all the money, spent a lot of income tax shaming on on social media too. I don't know why that is. That's not my question though. What I wanted to get to you about was, I remember one time you told me that it's actually not good to get a big income tax return. That 
you actually want to set it up to where you break even, where you don't owe, or maybe owe a little but not get the big income tax return because you can get more of your money throughout the year. I was wondering if you could explain that to the uh, listeners and see what they uh, can get from it. Yeah, well, when it comes down to getting a tax refund, basically what you've done is you lent money to the government for free with no interest. So uh, what you have to do is you have to set up your deductions on the front end by filling out your W-9 saying, you know, I've got this many deductions that I'm going to take so that you get more money in your check throughout the year. So instead of just kind of letting that money sit with the government throughout the entire year and then getting a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars back on a on a refund check, what you can do is just set it up on the front end that you're getting another hundred or hundred and fifty dollars a month, uh, and so you're not paying taxes throughout the year. So when you open up your tax or your uh, income statement, and it says that you paid federal income tax of a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, if you know that you get a refund at the end of the year every year and you get all your money back there is actually a spot on your W-9 that you can say, I'm exempt, I get all my money back, and they won't take that money out of your check every year. Um, so, And there's two schools of thoughts on it. Some people, they like getting that big check at the end of the year. They, they're able to pay bills off and things like that. But uh, for most of us, if you're struggling day-to-day trying to make you pay your bills, um, you know, every check, then why not just go ahead and get all of your federal income tax on the front end? So just go ahead and check that you're exempt that you're not going to be paying any taxes at the end of the year and get that money uh, then. Okay. Yeah, I, um, that that was when you first told me that, that was such a different concept because, like, many of the people I know, like you say, they depend on that huge income tax check to go spend it on something. Um, I, had a, I had a two-part question for you. I wanted to move to uh, credit and credit ratings. What would you say is, like, the quickest way to – uh, fix your credit if you're someone that are in the, that's in the 500s or even the low 600s and you want to, you know, you made some mistakes when you were younger and now you're in the position to where you want to try to get a house and you need to fix your credit. Do you have any tips on quick ways to fix your credit, one? And the other question is, you being in the banking in the industry, what have you seen as the most frequent mistakes uh, that people have made as far as messing up their credit, is it like, making a, a big purchase that they can't afford or just too many credit cards at once? What have you seen in your experience? It's a lot of um, – ooh, that's that, – you got a lot of things I can hit in that. Um, we'll kind of take it backwards, and we'll go from the the biggest thing that I see or the biggest issue that I see on credit reports is really on the front end not having a budget and so overextending themselves. Uh, there's this thing called debt-to-income that actually makes a big difference when you're borrowing money. It's not so much on your credit score, but um, just not having a budget, not knowing what you bring in and what you actually have to spend every month uh, hurts you uh, with your debt-to-income. And so what ends up happening is you get overextended, you can't pay bills, and so you get behind. Uh, and so a, a single 30-day late is not a big deal. When you have multiple 30-day lates or slow pays, as they're called, and then you let that go into a collection. Uh, so having collections on your credit score or credit report really, really hurt you. Um, slow pays really hurt you. Uh, and another thing that a lot of people don't really think about is what's called debt utilization. So what debt utilization is is say you got a credit card that's $5,000, and uh, 
you don't want to get over about 30% usage on that. So, you know, you're talking about $1,200, $1,500, somewhere in there. Uh, if you owe more than that on there, it starts to bring your score down. And if you get over 50%, it really starts to hurt your score. Um, a quick fix to that that a lot of people don't think about when they have a low score is if you can go get another credit card, say another card that will give you another $5,000 but don't spend any more money on it, what ends up happening is your debt utilization goes down. So what happens? Your score goes up. So, you know, everybody thinks i got to pay debt down to get my score up, but if you go get another credit card that gives you another line of credit but don't use that line of credit, it actually will boost your score. Um, but you got to be, you know, really careful not to use the new line of credit that you get. Um, and then also it's, it, it's just tracking those collections. Um, you know, a lot of people come and – when we actually pull their credit score their like or their credit report and we see there's a Verizon bill or some, you know, cell phone bill for $120 that's showing up as a collection. And it's killing their score because it's a collection, but, you know, you can pay that off at any time. You just got to know that it's out there. Uh, so that's the thing is keeping up with your credit report and knowing what's on it. Uh, there's a lot of places that offer credit monitoring and things like that. But what I like to do, is go to a website called annualcreditreport.com. It's the federal government's uh, website that actually lets you pull your credit scores or your credit report uh, at least once a year from each major credit bureau. So what I do is every four months I go in and I pull one of the major credit bureaus so that every four months I'm able to look at a new credit report and know what's com- coming on there. If anything jumps on there that, you know, I'm not, I don't recognize I instantly go in and I research it, figure out what it is, and then I dispute it if need to. So you have to manage it. You, you can't just hope that your score is good or, or that it's getting better. Uh, you have to go in, look at it, see what's on there. And then you can always go and you can call, you can talk to one of your bankers. Uh, wherever you bank at, you can go there, and a lot of their platform representatives will walk you through how to help you work, work out and pay down anything that you have in collections, and, and, and restructure some bills if need be. So um, go talk to your bankers. It's free 90% of the time, uh, and they'll help you out. But that annualcreditreport.com is a great tool to be able to track what's on your credit report. So you have to manage it. I got a so question for you, Razio. Um, sorry, sorry, Brian, let me jump in here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so this is something really interesting that I found out that I didn't know, something that I definitely want you to share with the listeners, your perspective. Co-signing is something now that I didn't fully understand um, as far as the impact on your credit score. So just explain to to the listeners who may have co-signed or may be thinking about co-signing, the impact that can happen if the person that you're co-signing with is not uh, worthy of making their payments and what it, what can happen to your credit score and what you should do about those things. Yeah, um, be careful who you co-sign for. Uh, truthfully, uh, if, you, if you're not willing to pay the bill yourself, if they don't pay it, then don't co-sign for it. That's what usually I tell everybody if they come into the bank and, and they say, I want to co-sign on that. Because it's going to do two things for uh, to you as a co-signer. One, it's going to show up on your credit report, uh, and so it, it shows up as debt for you. So anytime you want to go get any new loans or anything like that, you have to be able to pay that loan payment uh, on top of everything else that you have going on when you try to get new debt. So it's going to hurt you, or maybe not hurt you, but it's going to be go into effect uh, when you actually have to take a loan. Uh, the other thing is if that person doesn't start paying, that 30-day slow pay is going to hit you. 
and it's going to hit your credit report, and it's going to hurt your score. So that 30-day, that 90-day, especially if it ends up being, say, you co-sign on a car and it gets repossessed. Um, that repossession shows up. And so now not only do you have a collection from the outstanding debt, you have a repossession showing on your credit report. So, you know, be sure that when you co-sign on it, you're willing to assume that debt if that person doesn't pay. Do you get any benefits from co-signing? Like, say, if they pay it on time or pay it off early, do you get any of the benefits from co-signing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. If, if they're paying it on time, it shows up as a as a paid credit line uh, on your credit report. So the, every payment that they make helps. Um, so how credit your credit score is based off of a couple of different things, uh, and every credit bureau has their own kind of um, you know type of way that they figure out the, your credit score. But one of the big things is uh, that, like I talked about, debt utilization, debt utilization, uh, payment history is one thing that they look at. Uh, collections, are, of course, are going to be on there, but that's a very small percentage of it. it. As long as you don't have any collections, you're good. If you have it, it'll bring your score down really, really quickly. So um, that's one that you have to look at. Uh, and then another one is your credit file history, and that's one that um, a lot of people forget about. Uh, I, I see a lot of people, they'll go and they'll pay their credit card off and then close the card. You never want to close a credit card because – what happens is, say it's your oldest credit card, and say you got a credit card when you turned 18, and, you know, it's been 15 years from then, and you really didn't get any more credit for five years or six years after that credit card. So if you close that credit card, your credit file just shrunk from 15 years ago back down to 10 years. And so that's what, you know, the, the credit score is going to take a hit if you close that really, really old credit card. So never close any type of revolving debt. Just leave it open because it helps your debt utilization that we talked about, and it helps your credit history file. It, this is already turning into one of the most, I would say, important interviews we've done so far in the short history. We're talking to Arazio Mancarella. You're listening to Politically Entertaining. Uh, if you listen to any of the past shows, you've heard me and Frank discuss the presidential candidates uh, in particular, Bernie Sanders, and I at times have mentioned how I have friends that are Bernie Sanders supporters. Well, Arazio is one of those friends. And, Razio, I know you've listened to the show. Uh, have you gotten mad at Frank at all as far as hearing him say it's over for Bernie or he doesn't have a <laughs> shot? <laughs> well, is there anything you'd like to say to Frank now that you have him on the line? Yeah, it's not over. That's probably the... <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it, it's a long shot. It is. I mean, you know, let's let's be honest here. Um, but you know, Byron, we talk a lot, and one of the things that I say all the time is, you know, vote for Bernie if you think that he's going to be a good president. And worst case scenario, if you're going to vote Democrat and Hillary gets the nomination, guess what? You can vote for her in the general election. It's a primary. <laughs> so we're trying to select the candidate that we want to talk to uh, or, or that we want to put up, and then we can actually go against, you know, the Republican side or whatever. Uh, and, and truthfully, I, I will vote Democrat or Republican. Um, it's just been very, very hard over the last probably eight to ten years to vote Republican uh, because of the rise of the Tea Party. The Tea Party has taken the Republican Party so far right that, uh, you know, when they say conservative values, they aren't talking about 
fiscally conservative values. They're not talking about socially conservative values. They're talking about Jim Crow era values. So, you know, it, it, it's very, very different conservatives uh, that's running the party right now. And so it's really hard to uh, look at them and say, okay, I'm going to support that. Um, but then you go back on, you know, me as an independent saying, oh, I'm going to vote for Bernie, who's very, very far left. Um, my, my thing is when you break down all of Bernie's platform, every last piece that he talks about, if you poll them individually, they come out 60 70% approval ratings for each part of his platform. But then when we put it all together and say, okay, we're going to package it and we're going to present it as a platform, now, oh, no, that's socialism. We don't want it. You know, it's too far. It's crazy. We can't do that. Or, you know, I, I, I was just in a conversation on Facebook, and um, somebody said, oh, it's pie in the sky. It's never going to happen. Uh, and we've had that conversation, Byron. It's not going to happen. But the thing about it is you have to have a starting point and say, this is what we want. This is what we're going to push for. Uh, and if, if Bernie is elected, what's going to happen is, you know, that's the mandate. That's what we want to see, and that's what he's going to push for. We might not get 100% of it, but, you know, that 80% solution that he can get from it is going to push the country forward. And that's what we want to see is going forward and, and, and making progress. Um, you know, Hillary's a great candidate. Uh, yeah, let, let's be honest here. She's a great candidate. She's going to continue what President Obama has started, but it's going to be more status quo. I, I made an analogy of, you know, when you when you get moving and you start rolling, you want to put your foot on the gas and, and accelerate. You don't want to put it on cruise control and just let the country cruise control on. And that's what I think Hillary Clinton's going to do is, yes, we're going to be on cruise control for the next four to eight years. But with Bernie, he can actually take what uh, President Obama started and actually accelerate it, and we can uh, become back to what we were right after World War II when we had the New Deal and everything else to really make this country the greatest nation in the world. Let me jump in there with, with you saying that was some really great points. And, you know, you definitely took the high road. It could have been really ugly with the whole Bernie Sanders thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't think – so there was a couple of things about Bernie. One one thing I do like about Bernie, and, I, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to be positive because I feel really positive uh, tonight. And I, I feel like one thing about Bernie Sanders that he's done – and then you mentioned those things very important. You said different his different platforms, you know, social issues, economic issues, and those things have actually pushed Hillary Clinton to adopt. There's this great Saturday Night Live Saturday Night Live skit where basically they show her morphing into Bernie Sanders because she has been taking things away from Bernie Sanders and saying, oh yeah, you know, that sounds good. She's been you know cherry picking some of the good things that Bernie has put out there. So I do think his effect is, is, is a positive one because one of the things I will say in his favor is he's the only candidate that came out initially very strongly and talked about the social issues. And I think as certainly as African-Americans and, and other minorities, you are definitely concerned with some of the things that's happened as far as, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to go down the whole road of the Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin thing, but that's still there. That, and, we, and as black Americans, that's something that we see and we have to understand could happen. We have children. We don't want our children to be in those situations. So he is one of the few candidates that came out and was like, hey, this, you know, these issues need to be looked at. So I think that is something that, you know, we, we definitely see eye to eye on as far as Bernie Sanders. A couple of things about Bernie Sanders that, that worry me is the, the whole, you know, I wouldn't, the free cause thing doesn't bother me as much as 
I just believe there's a, the, the education system is broken in America, and free college is not necessarily the way I would pr- go about fixing it. Um, I don't believe that all poor people should have reparations. Uh, I mean, some of those things are kind of crazy to me, but, I mean, overall, I think he is good from this standpoint. He is pushing um, – you know, change even even in even as we go along and we joke around and say, oh, he doesn't have a chance. But Hillary is looking at what he's doing and, and, and his popular you know platforms and, and, and adapting it so that if she was if she has a general election, she's able to pick up those Bernie Sanders supporters because she understands that you know well I want to get you know that. So we'll see you know what happens. But like you said, I think I mean the thing that I'm looking at when the election is I'm kind of disappointed overall with the candidates because. Just how I feel and how I was raised, you know, my values. I don't, I don't find a candidate fully aligns with all those things, and so I think that's the most frustrating thing. I, I think that a lot of people are feeling as voters, which is we you talked about before, is why some people are voting for Trump, which I, I know doesn't make any sense, but people have felt um, so abandoned, and they're just going all out and voting for this guy who is just you know can't do any of the things he's saying, but it, you know he's different and. You know, he has a different type of arrogance about him. So it's very interesting, uh, you know, some of your points about Bernie and, and just looking how um, he's going to do going forward. I know he's been doing well lately. Byron is the delegate man. So, Byron, you know, if you want to jump in here and say he's got this many delegates, he's got a chance, you know, go ahead and try to resuscitate Bernie. Uh, I, I can't tell you the exact amount he has, but he he basically he needs to flip more superdelegates. Uh, the more superdelegates he flips, uh, the better his chance. He would have to win. Razio may know better than me. I think he has to win like 60% of the the remaining delegates in order to even have a a shot at uh, beating Hillary. So, yeah, if 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 he wins 60% in every contest going forward, he'll actually get to the 2300 or whatever it is and get the uh, he'll get the nod right off the bat. He doesn't even need the super delegates. But what's going to happen more than likely? What we'll see is he'll end up. They'll go to the convention. Um, neither one will all, neither one will make it from pledge delegates. So super delegates may decide uh, the the nominee this year, and and that's never happened in the Democratic primary. Uh, nine times out of ten, or per, pretty much ninety, a hundred percent of the time in history, right now, uh, the the pledge delegates have selected the nominee, and so the super delegates really didn't make a difference in it, and so. Uh, you know, when we talk about Bernie's only – he's less than 200 votes behind right now when you talk just pledged delegates. Right. Super delegates yeah. can flip. And so, you know, if he goes into Wisconsin, which he's polling now that he could win Wisconsin, he'll pick up maybe 20 of those 200. Um, you know, he's he's closing the gap in New York. So when they go to New York, he, they, he may walk out away with about the same as uh, Hillary there. So, you know, and then when we go to California, if he does like he did in Washington, in California, he'll close that gap and he'll actually lead and pledge delegates uh, after California. So, you know, it, he's not dead like everybody's trying to say, uh, you know, when, when the media portrays him as, oh, he has this insurmountable lead, they're adding in those superdelegates. And, so, and that's really unfair when you, you know, put apples to apples. And he, you know, he, you can tell he's putting the pressure on the Clinton campaign because they, they, they've been having a little back and forth spat more and more lately um, as far as trying to have another debate. And they're, they're, they've been calling him, um, trying to make a publicity stunt about having another debate. And uh, they, they've been going back and forth a lot more lately. So they're definitely feeling 
some pressure, and they would like to put him away <laughs> sooner than later. But it, like you know, like I said on the last show, they just can't put him away. I, I use the analogy of that Carolina Seattle NFC playoff game earlier this year. They just can't put him away. Um, again, we're talking to Arazio Macarella Jr. I've been leaving out the junior Arazio Macarella Jr. Um, going to get you out of here, Arazio. Um, but for anyone that's listened to our past episodes, me and Frank, we've talked to several entrepreneurs in our interviews. Terry Matthews. We talked a little entrepreneurship with Erica Perkins. We had a sister on last week, uh, Michelle Keisha Lovitch, with her own dance studio in Miami. Um, you being in the banking industry, you know, um, especially Terry Matthews specifically, she talked about her experiences with uh, banks and getting loans. For for the person that, that's listening that has been, you know, thinking about starting their own business and wanting to be an entrepreneur, uh, what tips do you have for them as far as putting together a good business plan? Because I know that's important when trying to um, get a business loan. Besides your credit and everything, you have to have a solid business plan, and not a lot of people know how to, you know, write those and put those together. Do you have any po- good points on how to put a, a solid business plan together? Yeah, uh, but but there, there, that's two parts. Um, the, the business loan part of it, um, a, a lot of people think I'm going to put a business plan together and I'm going to go to a bank and get a loan like a bank is a venture capital firm, and, and it doesn't really work that way. Um, a lot of times when people are walking into banks and getting loans for startup businesses or for new businesses, they've got a track record or history of either entrepreneurship, um, you know, they've got other companies that they can, the, the bank can look at and say, okay, well, you've got other companies that are very, very successful, so we'll give you the loan on this new company. Uh, and, and, and they'll use what's called a global kind of debt and, and global income for that person. So it's not, you know, oh, we just don't want to give business loans out. Uh, But at the same time, a new startup, what I tell a lot of my new startup companies is let's look at your personal, and and what we can do is we can do loans on your personal side for the first year to two years. And then after that, we can actually move that debt into the business name once it's successful Uh, because the bank has to protect itself. Uh, so that's where, you know, it, it's a little bit of a disconnect, I think, from the small business community and the bank. The bank is saying we want to make loans, but at the same time, we have to make sure that, you know, we're not making too many risky loans. And a lot of banks are actually moving. Uh, Terry Matthews talked about where, you know, she went to that, that vice president or that, that president of that bank and, and made the pitch, and then the president said, yeah, we can give it. A lot of banks are moving away from having lending authority in vice presidents and presidents' hands, and they're doing what's called a central underwriting. And so the underwriters can't talk to the lendees. Uh, anybody that's coming in trying to get a loan, the underwriter will not talk to them. Um, the lender or the you, what you'll have is, you know, your banker will have to actually write up a packet, and they'll write the story behind the business, and they'll try to support it, but the underwriter won't directly talk to that person. Uh, because of Fair Lending Acts and things like that, uh, federal regulations is, is, is starting to crack down on that, where, you know, we're going to lend based off the numbers and based off the facts, not off of who you know and everything like that. But when you talk business plan, you have to have a business plan if you're going to start up a business anyway, though, uh, not just to go get loans and bring it to the bank, 
But what you have to do is you have to know your competition. You have to know how much it's going to cost you to run this business. And that's what that business plan is. Um, there's a lot of books out there. There's websites out there that actually walk you through making that business plan in each step. But the first step that I tell anybody is when they have an idea, go out and see has it been tried before, what failed about it, and why. If you can't explain why it failed, then you probably don't need to open that business either because you need to be able to identify why that business failed and then find some way that you're going to get around that because if you can't fix that problem, then you're going to fail as well. So you have to know any businesses that came before you, what happened. And then you go out and you look at the competition. Uh, if you want to open up a skating rink, are there any other places out there that people spend their discretionary money to go and, you know, just have fun? So you're talking movie theaters. You're talking, you know, play places, Chuck E. Cheese, all these other places that are going to be your competition. And how are you going to go up against them? So in that business plan, you have to actually write your competition is probably the biggest part in that business plan, talking about your competition and how you're going to get around them, and you're going to steal people from them and make them come to your new place or your new place of business. Um, and then you talk through your pro, pro formas, which are your financials. And so what you do is you estimate how much it's going to cost you to be, uh, do the business, uh, how much it's going to cost to run every month. So, you know, when you talk to any business owner, their biggest uh, expense is employees. So are you going to have employees? How, how are you going to uh, pay them? Uh, you know, your lights, your rent, uh, all of that, you need to write that down. And then you need to figure out how much you're going to charge for whatever you're selling because if you don't sell enough of it, you can't pay your rent. So all of that has to be taken in, into consideration. And so once you've thought through all that process, you have a good business plan because at that point you know what your business is and you know what's going to happen with it and you have a, a plan to be successful. A lot of people think an idea is a business. And, and they're, they're totally separate. <laughs> you know, you start with the idea and then you build a business from that <laughs> or around it. All right. Well, I, I said I would get you out of here, but we, we don't rehearse this, so I do need to double-check and see if Frank had anything else for you before we do get you out of here. No, man, definitely. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing all that advice for credit. I think that's very, very important. I think especially um, in, in the African-American community, uh, sometimes in the minority community as well. Sometimes credit is not understood. Uh, you know, as, you know, as far as utilization and understanding about closing cards. You know, I think that's something that I've heard people say and do. Like, oh, I paid off and I closed it. That was a great point. So, like I said, if you haven't listened to this interview in its entirety, go back, listen to it, take notes. Um, it's very important for it to a friend because these are things that are making make huge decisions. The difference between you having, you know, a, a good loan and a bad loan. Uh, as you try to, you know, make purchases, you go forward. So definitely go back and listen to that. And, again, thanks for coming on and sharing that information. I, I, I called it the most important interview we've ever had. It's, Razio, it, it was the type of interview I wish I had heard when I was 18, when, when that first credit card came in, in the mail to me. And, you know, 18 years old, to me, that was free money. And I just didn't understand, you know, how important credit was, credit, credit scores, and how it could really affect your life and you know, I'm just thankful that I was able to fix my credit and, you know, get get my first home and now my second home and things of that nature. So, man, we really appreciate all the advice and, and your time today, brother. No problem, man. Uh, hey, I'm I'm open anytime you guys need me. All right. Well, you can uh you can uh 
like like Frank said, listen to the entire interview, subscribe to Politically Entertaining, Podbean, Stitcher app, iTunes. This was a great interview. Even though he's my friend, it's not something he had to do, so we definitely thank you. And uh, we'll probably have you on again because it's the type of thing that, that doesn't expire with the, with the advice you're giving on finances and credit. So we really appreciate you, man, and we'll talk to you later. All right, man. Thanks. I want to thank Arazio for uh, joining us. Man, I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I'm probably going to do the same thing, Frank, and, and listen to it again. There's a lot of knowledge in there. It was so much stuff we didn't, we didn't get a chance to get to. Uh, he I threw agree. some numbers out there. He was correct about uh, when we were talking politics briefly. Uh, Hillary, when you look at uh, when you don't count the superdelegates, she only has a 239 delegate lead over Bernie Sanders. So he was correct about that. He, I know he said 200 and something. It's 239. Although by the time you hear this, the Wisconsin primary would have taken place, so that number may change. But uh, Razio, if you're listening, Really, thank you. We really appreciate that, man. Yeah, you know, you know, another thing that's really funny is our our big Bernie Sanders debate that looked like it was going to be a huge uh, sword fight it ended up being more of a gentleman, gentlemanly joust. And I do appreciate uh, Razio's perspective. And I think one of the great things he pointed out was that some of the things that Bernie Sanders is pushing is very popular. It's just when you put it all together, it's not necessarily electable nationwide, but I think that some of the things, some of the social issues that we we talked about in the past on the show that he's bringing up, none of, the other, none of the other candidates are looking at, that's something that's important. I really do think that, you know, we shouldn't have to settle for, okay, well, we get the, what we want fiscally, but we don't get what we want socially, or we get what we want socially, but we don't get what we want fiscally. I think there has to be, uh, you know, more 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 diversity, more variety, even going back to, you know, what Dr. Claiborne Carson said about you know, the two parties and there not being enough difference. So I think that was some great dialogue there, and hopefully um, we will be able to have him on again maybe down the road and maybe talk a little bit more about some of that credit stuff and, and maybe as we get closer to the election, see what he thinks uh, as, as the nominations uh, get closer. Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned Bernie Sanders and a lot of the things that he's proposing. Uh, a lot of people, you know, that are not fans of his are, are painting him as a socialist, which at times in the in the past, he has called himself a socialist, but uh, it, it it really helps me transition to this next story I wanted to talk to you about. You know, in the interview with Arazio, I mentioned that there's a lot of income tax shaming, and by that I meant, you know, on social media I see a lot of people saying like, "Oh, you got your little income tax check, you ain't gonna do nothing but blow it, and then you'll be broke in another month." Okay, maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I don't get why that's like your your or my or anyone else's business. But the other shaming that I see on social media a lot is, like, people that are on welfare, and it's not necessarily by, like, friends of ours, but when you get these uh, conservative uh, groups and sometimes left-leaning groups, they, they point out how much money we spend on uh, welfare and food stamps and this, that, and the other. We worry about – my argument to that, Frank, is we always worry about the $400 – Keisha or or Shauna gets in food stamps each month. Meanwhile, we got the government that just spent well they didn't they didn't just spend it, but they spent eighty six million dollars on a plane to fly over Afghanistan to surveillance for drugs. Frank, the plane did not fly once over Afghanistan. Yeah, we spent eighty six million dollars on an anti drug plane 
to fly over Afghanistan. Meanwhile, we're arguing over the pennies we spend on on, on on people that legitimately need help. Now, yes, there are people that game the system. I get that. I get that. But if you if you really looked at the, the bills and the laws that Congress passed and the money that they, like, just hide and sneak away in these different bills, I mean, we Frank, we build like fighter jets that the military has said we haven't used for 20 years, and we still build them because it's a, it's, it's like a job for uh, companies to to stay in business and stuff. So I don't I didn't know if you had anything to say on this or not, but it just it just drove me crazy when I saw this story. I'm like, wow, 86 million dollars and we never even used the plane. Did you have any? <laughs> did you want to get in on that at all? I was just I was just amazed that the that the plane it was actually uh, and we'll put a link if you haven't already put a link we'll put a link out there on the Facebook page so you can actually read the story. But what was amazing to me was that the plane was actually requested to 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 fly missions to do things and it wasn't available. It was never it wasn't even that okay. It, it didn't fly. It didn't work. It was that hey okay we got this plane let's use it X Y Z and it was like oh, it's not available. <laughs> it's being worked on. It's like that was the most amazing part to me was the fact that they put all this money into this plane and it never was flying, and it actually was requested. It wasn't just a project where it was like they didn't know what it was. Like sometimes you'll hear about that where they just like took the money and built something and they didn't know what it was. They knew about this plane, knew about the capabilities, and requested its use, and it was always rejected, which is unbelievable when you, when you consider how much money was put into it. I mean, can you imagine – you know, I mean, I can't imagine any other place where you could do that and actually get away with it uh, with that kind of money. So it is crazy, and I and I think that I agree with you that there, there are people that game the system, but there are certainly wastes of money where, you know, we, we talked about this in the past of Flint, Michigan. I know this, and I understand that the money is not the same money, and I, I know how everything is allocated differently, but it's amazing that, you know, over that period of time, 80-plus $80 million dollars we have, you know, have, um, allocated for a plane that never flew a mission, and yet we're okay with people in this country, children at that, that are drinking dirty water and affecting their health uh, down the line. Uh, and, you know, their children's health as well. So, I mean, I think it's just a sobering thought, a sobering problem um, of, of where the problem really lies in, in this country and how, you know, the the elite sometimes use certain phrases, certain issues to divide the people, but realistically we should be looking and questioning a little bit more about what uh, the government is doing in, certain these, in these kind of cases. If you're sitting there saying, well, you know, Frank Byron, that's just one plane, that's one time, you know, we still need to do something about spending on welfare and stuff. Uh, keep in mind, we gave Pakistan billions upon billions of dollars to help us find bin Laden, who was just happened to be hiding in their country next to one of their military facilities. Money well spent, right? Okay. We give Afghanistan money while we fight this war on drugs, yet the president's brother is one of the biggest opium dealers in the world. You don't see any conflict of interest there. So, again, we spend money all kinds of crazy ways for us to be worried about how much a family that possibly even needs it to get on their feet, how much they're getting per month. Again, I know... When you're waking up in the morning and you're going to your nine to five, yeah, it can be frustrating when you see the lazy joker down the street or in another neighborhood somewhere 
that doesn't have to get up and they're just getting a check in the mail. That can be frustrating, but what I'm just trying to get your people to see is the bigger picture, that's all. Um, we, we always like to end on a lighter note. And, Frank, you know with the possibility of Trump, it has a lot of people worried. But I don't know if you paid attention to this, but there have been quite a few celebrities that have come out and said that if Trump gets elected, I'm leaving America, I'm moving to Canada, this, that, and other. As though I think when they say that, they feel like they're helping the cause. But I look at it from a different angle, and it's like, are you guys sure you're helping? You might be hurting the cause if you really don't want Trump to get elected because you're assuming that, the majority of the people like you. So when Amali Cyrus, uh, Cher, Raven Simone, Al Sharpton, who's a lightning rod in many aspects, uh, Samuel Jackson, Whoopi Goldberg, these are like some of the celebrities that have said they'll move to, to Canada if Trump gets elected. And I'm thinking, shoot, you may be helping Trump. It may be some people that say, you know what, I wasn't going to vote for Trump, but if it'll get rid of Whoopi Goldberg, then I may just have to do that, man. What do you think about that? You know, I, it's funny how we live in a celebrity culture that we that we, that we build up. And honestly, who cares? I would say this. I would say, who cares what these guys think? I mean, they're TV personalities. You know, they're good at their jobs. Samuel Jackson, obviously, I, I, I enjoy a good number of his movies. Pulp Fiction, I love it. Great movie. Um, you know, Miley Cyrus. Mm, I mean, can't say I really enjoy anything she's done. I know she did have a, a run with Hannah Montana, a lot of kids like that. Um, but I will nod my head and party in the USA comes on if I've been drinking. I ain't going to lie. But all I'm saying is who cares? Who cares what these guys think? Because to me, they have a lot of money. It's great. They're celebrities. But they're no more informed than anybody listening to this podcast. They're probably less informed. Excuse me. Let me not offend our listeners. They're less informed than our audience. So it's like who cares what you think? And what do you and what do you know about Canada? Do you even know that you will be able to live in Canada the same way you live in America? I know that people I've seen that said about people would move to another country. Which country would that be? Are you researching it? You should start researching that now because the election is in seven months. So you want to get all that together. You want to start doing that if you're really, really worried uh about uh, you know, what's going to happen to this country if Trump or Cruz or somebody you don't want, or on the other side, if Clinton gets elected and you want to move. I mean, I know people that, you know, I, obviously we saw when President Obama got elected the second time that Texas tries to see, they set a petition, they wanted to secede. I mean, it needs to stop. I mean, the the, the idea that America's going to be unlivable is just is laughable. I mean, we, we're here and we definitely want people to vote, and we definitely think it's a very important election, but we want to encourage you, whatever happens in the election, to you know, make sure that you're going about your life peacefully and still making a difference and not doing things that are just basically, like, nonsensical, which you're moving out of the country. I mean, I don't, I don't understand it, but like you said, we end with something lighthearted, so there you go. <laughs> I just don't see somebody going to the voting booth saying, man, i got to do whatever I can to keep raving Simone in this country. It's just not happening. Um, this makes eight shows, folks, uh, in the short history. We've interviewed Stephen Dining, journalist for the Washington Times. He's also on Fox News sometimes, giving his take on uh, politics. We've interviewed who we call the mayor of Mobile, Erica Perkins, which happens to be our highest-rated show. We interviewed Terry Matthews, a phenomenal woman, CEO of Jaden's Voice. We just had uh, autism awareness this past Saturday. Uh, if you know anybody with autism, visit jadensvoice.org, J-A-D-E-N-S voice.org. 
to learn more about autism and how you can help. Frank mentioned Claiborne Carson. We really enjoyed that interview with him. Uh, if you've been to D.C. and visited the uh, Martin Luther King Monument, he helped uh, to design it, and he's also like uh, the head person of the Martin Luther King Research Institute. We've interviewed DeRay McKesson, running for mayor of Baltimore, Black Lives Matter leader, met with President Obama last month. He's doing big things. And today you heard Arazio Macarella. You can hear any and all of these interviews plus the entire show at politicallyentertaining.com. Subscribe on iTunes, podcast. Again, download the Stitcher or Podbean app if you don't have an Apple device. And just go back, listen to any episodes you may have missed. Listen to the episodes to to uh, catch something that you may have missed the first time you listened to it. Me and Frank are probably going to listen to the Arazio interview again. And uh, just continue to support us. We can't thank you enough. Uh, Frank, I'll go ahead and let you uh, take us out. Definitely. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to uh, growing with you guys, and and we're excited about the upcoming election and just an overall more informed electorate. That's what we want to do here. So you guys take care, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.